Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's time for Tales of Terror only on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. The Willamette Radio Workshop. Suspense. This is the man in black, here to introduce Columbia's program, Suspense. Tonight, as we premiere our new Saturday evening series on the air, Miss Patricia Blem returns to our stage to appear in the study in terror by Lucille Fletcher called, Sorry, Wrong Number. This story of a woman who accidentally overheard a conversation with death, and who strove frantically to prevent murder from claiming an innocent victim, is being repeated by popular request as tonight's tale of suspense. If you've been with us before, you will know that suspense is compounded of mystery and suspicion and dangerous adventure. In this series are tales calculated to intrigue you, to stir your nerves, to offer you a precarious situation and then Withhold the scissors. Withhold the solution until the last possible moment. And so it is with the story, Sorry, Wrong Number, and the performance of Miss Patricia Blem. We again hope to keep you in... Suspense! Your call, please. Operator, I've been dialing Murray Hill 70043 now for the last three quarters of an hour, and the line is always busy. I don't see how it could be always busy that long. You try it for me, will you, please? I'll be glad to try that number for you. One moment, please. I don't see how it could be busy all this time. It's my husband's office. He's working late tonight, and I'm all alone here in the house. My health is very poor, and, and I've been feeling so nervous all day. Ringing Murray Hill 70093. Hello? Hello? Uh, hello. Uh, is, is Mr. Stevenson there? Hello? 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 
Hello, George. Yes, sir, this is George speaking. Hello, who is this? What number am I calling, I'm here please? with our client. Oh, good. Is everything okay? Is the coast clear for tonight? Yeah, George. He says the coast is clear for tonight. Okay. Okay. Now, uh, where are you now? In the phone booth. Don't worry. Everything's okay. Very well. Uh, you know the address? Yeah, yeah, I know. At 11 o'clock, the private patrolman goes round to the bar on 2nd Avenue for a beer. Yeah, that's right. 11 o'clock. I'll make sure all the lights downstairs are out. Yeah, there should only be one light, visible from the street. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know. At 11.15, a train crosses the bridge. It makes noise in case her window's open and she should scream. Oh, hello. What number is this, please? Okay, uh, I understand, I tell you. It's 11.15, the train. Yeah. You remember everything else, George? Yeah, yeah, I make it quick. As little blood as possible. <gasps> because our client doesn't wish to make her suffer long. <laughs> That's right. Uh, you use a knife. Right? Yes, a knife will be okay. And afterwards, I'll remove the rings and the bracelets and the jewelry in the bureau drawer, because our client wishes it to look like a simple robbery. Don't worry. Everything's okay. I never make a mistake. Oh. Oh, how awful. How, how unspeakably awful. Oh, I, know. I need to call the operator. Operator. Your call, please. Operator, I've just been cut off. I'm sorry, what number were you calling? Why, it, it was supposed to be Murray Hill 70093, but it wasn't. Some wires must have crossed, and I was cut into a wrong number, and... Oh, I have just heard the most dreadful thing. Something about a, a murder. And, Operator, you simply have got to retrace that call at once. I, I beg your pardon? May I help you? Oh, I know it was a wrong number, and I had no business listening, but these two men, oh, they were so cold-blooded. They're cold-blooded fiends, and they were going to murder somebody, some poor, innocent woman who was all alone in a house near a bridge, and we've got to stop them. We have got uh, what to... What number were you calling, please? Well, that doesn't matter. That was a wrong number, and you dialed it. And we've got to find out what it was immediately. What number did you call? Oh, why are you so stupid? <sighs> what time is it? Do you mean to tell me that you can't find out what that number was just now? I'll connect you with the chief operator. Oh, I think it's perfectly shameful. Now look. Look, it was obviously a case of some little slip of the finger. I told you to try Murray Hill 70093 for me. You dialed it, but your, num your finger must have slipped and it was connected with some other number. And I could hear them, but they couldn't hear me. Now, I, I simply fail to see why you couldn't make that same mistake again on purpose. Why couldn't you try to dial Murray Hill 70093 in the same sort of careless way? Murray Hill 70093? Yes! I'll try to get it for you. Well, thank you. I'm sorry, Murray Hill 70093 is busy. I'll call you in 20 minutes. Operator! 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 Your call, please. You didn't try to get that wrong number at all. I asked you explicitly, and all you did was dial correctly. I'm sorry. What number are you calling? 
Well, can't you for once forget what number I'm calling and do something for me? Now, I want you to trace that call. It's my civic duty and it's your civic duty to trace that call and to apprehend those dangerous killers. And if you won't... I will connect you with the chief operator. Please! Oh, dear. This is the chief operator. Oh. oh, chief operator, I want you to trace a call. A telephone call immediately. I don't know where it came from or who was making it, but it is absolutely necessary that it be tracked down because it was about a murder that somebody's planning. A terrible, cold-blooded murder of a poor, innocent woman tonight at 11.15. I see. Well, can you trace it for me? Can you track it down, those men? I'm not certain. It depends. Depends on what? It depends on whether the call is still going on. If it's a live call, we can trace it on the equipment. If it's been disconnected, we can't. Disconnected? If the parties have stopped talking to each other. Oh, but of course they've stopped talking to each other by now. That was at least five minutes ago, and I didn't think they sounded like the pe kind of people who would make a long call. Well, I can try tracing it. May I have your name, please? Mrs. Stevenson. Mrs. Elbert Stevenson. But listen... And your telephone number, please? Plaza 42295. But if you're going to go Why on wasting time... Why do you want this time... call traced, please? What? I... Well... Well, no reason. I, I, I mean... I merely felt very strongly that something ought to be done about it. These men sounded like killers. They're dangerous. They're going to murder this woman at 11.15 tonight, and I thought the police ought to know. Have you reported this to the police? Well, no. Not yet. You want this call checked purely as a private individual? Yes, yes, but meanwhile... I'm they're... sorry, Mrs. Stevenson, but I'm afraid we couldn't make this check for you and trace this call just on your say-so as a private individual. We'd have to have something more official. Oh, for heaven's sake! You mean you can't tell me I... You... You mean to tell me... I can't report that there's going to be a murder without getting tied up in all this red tape. Why, it's perfectly idiotic. Well, all right. I'll call the police. Thank you. I'm sure that would be the best way to take care of it. Oh, ridiculous. Perfectly ridiculous. Oh, the thought of it. I can't see why I have to go to all this trouble. The telephone company should have called the police, and they should have tracked that. Oh! Your call, please? The police department. Get me the police department. Please. Thank you. Oh, dear, do you have to dial? Can't you just ring them direct? Ringing the police department? Oh, this is ridiculous. By the time of this... Oh, they're going to get away with this. Police station, precinct 43, Sergeant Martin speaking. Police department? Ah. Oh. This is Mrs. Stevenson, Mrs. Elbert Smythe Stevenson of 53 Sutton Place. I'm calling to report a murder. I mean, uh, the murder hasn't been committed yet, but I overheard plans for it over the telephone, over a wrong number that the operator gave me. I'm, I've been trying to trace down the call myself, but everybody is so stupid and... Well, I guess in the end, you're the only people who can do anything. Uh, yes, ma'am. 
It was a perfectly definite murder. I heard their plans distinctly. Two men were talking, and they were going to murder some woman at 11.15 tonight. She lived in a house near a bridge, and... Are you listening to me? Uh, yes, uh, yes, ma'am. And there was a private patrolman on the street. He was going to go around for a beer on 2nd Avenue. And, and then there was this third man, a client who was paying to have this poor murder, woman murdered. They were going to take her rings and bracelets and, 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 and use a knife. Well, it's unnerved me dreadfully. And I'm not well. And I feel so nervous. I, I, I see. Uh, when was all this, ma'am? About eight minutes ago. Then... Then, then you can do something? You do what understand. What is your name, ma'am? Mrs. Stevenson. Mrs. Elbert Stevenson. And your address? 53 North Sutton Place. 53 North Sutton Place. That's near a bridge. The Queensboro Bridge, you know, and, 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 and we have a private patrolman on our street. And 2nd Avenue is and, not... And uh, what was that number you were calling? Murray Hill 70093, but that wasn't the number I overheard. I mean, Murray Hill 70093 is my husband's office. He's working late tonight, and I was trying to reach him to ask him to come home. I'm an invalid, you know, and it's the maid's night off, and I hate to be alone at night even though he says I'm perfectly safe as long as I have the telephone right beside my bed. Well, uh, we'll look into it, Mrs. Stevenson, and see if we can check with the telephone company. But the telephone company said they couldn't check the call if the parties had stopped talking. I've already taken care of that. Oh, you have? Yes. And personally, I feel you ought to do something far more immediate and drastic than just check the call. What good does checking the call do if they've stopped talking? By the time you've tracked it down, they'll have already committed the murder. Well, we'll take care of it. Don't you worry. Well, I'd say the whole thing calls for a search. A complete and thorough search of the whole city. Now, I'm very near the bridge, and I'm not far from 2nd Avenue. And I know I'd feel a whole lot better if you sent around a radio car to this neighborhood at once. And what makes you think the murder's going to be committed in your neighborhood, ma'am? Well, oh, I don't know. Only the coincidence is so horrible. Second Avenue, the patrolman, the bridge. Second Avenue is a very long street, ma'am. And you know how many bridges there are in the city of New York alone? Yes, I Not know. Not to mention Brooklyn, Staten Island, Queens, the Bronx? I know that. How do you know there isn't some little house on Staten Island on some little Second Avenue you've never heard about? You know, they're even talking about New York at all. But I heard the call on the New York dialing system. Maybe it was a long-distance call you Oh, heard. don't be ridiculous. Ah, telephones are funny things. Look, lady, why don't you look at it this way? Supposing you hadn't broken in on a telephone call. Supposing you got your husband the way you always do. You wouldn't be so upset, would you? Well, no, I suppose not. Only it sounded so inhuman... So cold-blooded. A lot of murders are plotted in this city every day, ma'am. We manage to... We manage to prevent most of them. But... Uh, but a clue of this kind is so vague. It isn't much more use to us than no clue at all. 
But surely you could do something... Unless, of course, you have some reason for thinking this call was a phony one and someone may be planning to murder you. Me? Oh, no. No, I hardly think so. I mean, why would anybody? I'm alone all day and night. I see nobody except my maid, Eloise. And she's a big girl. She weighs 200 pounds, and she's too lazy to bring up my breakfast tray. And the only other person is my husband, Elbert. He's crazy about me. He just adores me. He waits on me hand and foot. He's scarcely left my side since I took sick, tw well, 12 years ago. Well, then there's nothing for you to worry about. Now, if you just leave the rest of this to us, we'll take care of it. But what will you do? It's so late. It's nearly 11 we'll now. We'll take care of it, lady. Will you broadcast it all over the city and send out squads and warn your radio cars to watch out, especially in suspicious neighborhoods lady, like mine? Lady, I said we'd take care of it. Just now, I got a couple of other matters here on my desk that require immediate attention. Good night, ma'am. Thank you. Oh, you, you idiot! Oh, now, why did I hang up the phone like that? He'll think I am a fool. Oh. Why doesn't Elbert come home? Why doesn't he? Why doesn't he come home? Oh, Elbert. Where are you? Albert. Your call, please. Operator, for heaven's sakes, will you ring that Murray Hill 70093 number again? I can't think what's keeping him so long. I'll try it for you. Well, try, try. I just don't see why he doesn't answer it. I'm sorry, Murray Hill 70093 is busy. Uh, I will call you in 20 minutes. I can minutes. hear it. You don't have to tell me. I know it's busy. If only I could get out of this bed just for a little while. I could get a brush of fresh air and... Oh, just lean out the window, see the street. Hello, Albert. Hello? 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 Oh, what's the matter with this phone? Hello? 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 Oh, for heaven's sake, who is this? Hello? 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 Oh, who's trying to call me? Oh, why doesn't he answer? Your call, please. Hello, operator. I don't know what's the matter with this telephone tonight, but it's positively driving me crazy. I've never heard such inefficient, miserable service. Now, now look. I am an invalid. And I am very nervous, and I am not supposed to be annoyed. But if this keeps up much longer... What seems to be the trouble? Well, everything's wrong. I haven't had one bit of satisfaction out of one call I've made this evening. The whole world could be murdered for all you people care. And now my phone keeps ringing and ringing and ringing and ringing and... 
every five seconds, and I pick it up, and there is no one there. I'm sorry. If you will hang up, I will test it for you. I don't want you to test it for me. I want you to put that call through, whatever it is, at once. I'm afraid I cannot do that. You can't. And why? Why, may I ask? The dial system is automatic. No! Oh! If someone is trying to dial your number, there's no way to check if the call is coming through the system or not. Unless the person who's trying to reach you complains to his particular operator. Well, of all the stupid. And meanwhile, I've got to sit here in my bed suffering every time that phone rings, imagining everything. I will try to check the trouble for you. Check it, check it. That's all anybody can do. Oh, what's the use of talking to you? You're so stupid. Oh, I will fix him. Of all the impudent... How dare he speak to me like that? How dare he? Call the operator. That's what I'll do. Oh, why does it take so long? Your call, please. Young man, I don't know your name, but there are ways of finding you out. And I'm going to report you to your superiors for the most unpardonable rudeness and insolence it's ever been my privilege. Give me your business office at once. You may dial that number direct. Dial it direct? I will do no such thing. I don't even know the number. The number is in the directory. Or you may secure it by dialing information. Now listen here, you... Oh, what's the use? Oh. I'm going to go out of my mind, out of my... Hello? Hello? Stop ringing me. Do you hear? Answer me. Who is this? Do you realize you're driving me crazy? Who's calling me? What are you doing it for? Now stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Hello? Hello? Look. If you don't stop ringing me, I'm going to call the police. Do you hear? The police! Oh, Albert. If only Albert would come home. Oh, let it ring. No. Let, let it go on ringing. It's a trick of some kind. I won't answer it. I won't. I won't. I won't. Even if it goes on ringing all night. Oh, you ring. You go ahead and ring. Stopped. Now, now what's the matter? Why did they stop ringing all of a sudden? Oh, oh God, what time is it? Where did I put that clock? Oh, where? Oh, there it is. Five to eleven. Oh, they've decided something. They're sure I'm home. They heard my voice answer them just now. That's why they've been ringing me. Why no one has answered me. I'll call the operator again. Oh. Oh. Where is he? Why doesn't he answer? Why doesn't he answer? Your call, please. Where were you just now? Why didn't you answer me at once? Give me the police department. 
sorry, the line is busy. I'll call you in 20 minutes to see if you... Busy? But how's that possible? The police department can't be busy. There must be other lines available. The line is busy. I will try to get them for no, you. No, 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 no. I've got to speak to them now, or it may be too late. I've got to talk to someone. What number do you wish to speak to? I don't know. But there must be someone to protect people besides the police department. Um, a, a, a detective agency. I, I... You'll find agencies listed in the classified directory. But I don't have a classified. I mean, no. I'm so nervous. I, I'm too nervous to look it up, and I don't know how to use the... I'll connect you with information. Perhaps they could be able to help you. No, no, please. Oh, you are being spiteful, aren't you? You don't care, do you? What happens to me? I could die and you wouldn't care. Oh, stop it, stop it, stop it! I can't stand it anymore. Hello, what do you want? Stop ringing, will you? Stop it! Hello? Is this Plaza 42295? Oh, yes. Yes, I'm, I'm sorry. This is Plaza 42295. Uh, this is Western Union. I have a telegram here for Miss Elbert Stevenson. Is there anyone there to receive the message? I'm... I'm Mrs. Stevenson. The telegram is as follows. Mrs. Elbert Stevenson, 53 North Sutton Place, New York, New York. Darling, terribly sorry. Tried to get you for the last hour, but line busy. Leaving for Boston, 11 p.m. tonight, on urgent business. Back tomorrow afternoon. Keep happy. Love. Signed. Albert. Oh, no. Do you wish us to deliver a copy of the message? No. No, thank you. Thanks, ma'am. Good night. Good night. Oh, no. No, no, no. I don't believe it. He couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. Not when he knows I'm all alone. Oh, this is a trick, some fiendish trick. This is some trick. Oh, why does it? Where is that operator? Why won't you answer this? Where are you, please? Your call, please. Operator. Try that Marie Hill 70093 number for me just once more. You may dial that number direct. Oh. Marie Hill, seven, zero, zero, nine, three. Or what the expense is. I'm a sick woman. I'm entitled. I'm entitled.
Information, may I help you? I want the telephone number of Hensley Hospital. Hensley Hospital. Do you have the street address? No, no, it's, it's, uh, it's somewhere in the 70s. It's a very small private hospital, exclusive, where I had my appendix out two years ago. Hensley, uh, uh, H-E- One moment, please. Please hurry. Uh, please. What is the time? Oh, you may find out the time by dialing Meridian 7 Oh, for heaven's sakes, I have no time to be dialing. The number of Hensley Hospital is Butterfield 70105. Butterfield 70105. Butterfield 0. Oh, please. Hensley Hospital, good evening. Nurses Registry. Who was it you wish to speak to, please? I want the nurse's registry at once. I want a trained nurse. I want to hire her immediately for the night. I see. And what is the nature of the case, madam? Nerves. I'm very nervous. I need soothing, companionship. You see, my husband is away. Have you been recommended to us by any doctor in particular, madam? No, but I don't really see why all this catechizing is necessary. I just want to hire a nurse. I was a patient in your hospital two years ago. And after all, I do expect to pay this person for attending me. We quite understand that, madam. But these are war times, you know. Well, I don't care if they're war times. Registered nurses are very scarce just now, and our superintendent has asked us to send people out only on cases where the physician in charge feels that it is absolutely necessary. Well, it is absolutely necessary. I am a sick woman. I'm very upset. Very. I'm alone in this house, and I am an invalid. And tonight, I overheard a telephone conversation that upset me dreadfully. In fact, if someone doesn't come at once, I'm afraid I'll go out of my mind. I see. Well, I'll speak to Miss Phillips as soon as she comes in. And what is your name, madam? Miss Phillips. What would you expect her in? Well, I really couldn't say. She went out to supper at 11 o'clock. 11 o'clock? But it's not 11 yet. Oh! Oh! Oh, my clock has stopped. Oh, I thought it was running down. What time is it? Just 15 minutes past 11. Oh, what was that? What was what, madam? That click just now on my own telephone, as though someone had lifted the receiver off the hook of the extension telephone downstairs. Well, I didn't hear it, madam. Now, about this nurse... I did. There's someone in this house. Someone downstairs in the kitchen, and they're... They're... Oh, they're listening to me now. I, I, I won't pick it up. I won't let them hear me. Oh, be quiet, and they'll think that... Oh, if I don't get someone now, they're still down. While they're still down there, there'll be no time. Operator. Your call, please. Operator. Operator, I am in desperate trouble. I'm sorry, I cannot hear you. 
Please speak louder. I don't dare. I, there's someone listening. Can you hear me now? I'm sorry. But you've got to hear me. Oh, please, you've got to hear me. You've got to help me. There's someone in this house, someone who's going to murder me. And we've got to get in touch with the police. Oh, there it is. There, did you hear it? Did you hear? He put it down. He's put down the extension phone. He's coming up. He's coming up the stairs. Give me the police department. The police department. The police department. Give it to me. Give One me moment, please. I will connect you. Sergeant Martin speaking. Police Department, Sergeant Martin speaking. Police Department? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Must have got the wrong number. Don't worry. Everything's okay. And so closes Sorry Wrong Number, starring Miss Patricia Blem in tonight's tale of Suspense. CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Sorry Wrong Number originally premiered on the radio on May 25th, 1943, with Agnes Moorhead in the lead role. It was broadcast seven times between 1943 and 1948. According to her daughter, Dorothy Herman, Lucille Fletcher got the idea for the piece after an obnoxious, well-dressed woman refused to let her go ahead on a supermarket checkout line when Fletcher was buying milk for her sick child. No, you cannot, the woman said. How dare you? Sorry, wrong number was Fletcher's act of revenge. The piece inspired a film, a stage play, and two operas, and Orson Welles called it the single greatest radio script ever written. Though often overlooked, women played critical roles in radio's golden age, not only as performers, but even as engineers, station managers, reporters, writers, Foley artists, and owners. Oh, by the way, that jazzy underscoring you hear right now? That'd be the great band leader Calloway. No, not Cab, but his older sister Blanche, whose 50-year career included the distinction of being the first woman to lead an all-male jazz orchestra. Her mother wanted her to be something respectable, like a teacher or a nurse. Tonight you'll also hear music by another underrecognized female instrumentalist, the violinist and orchestra leader Ginger Smock. As a woman writer in the heyday of radio, Lucille Fletcher stands out particularly for her choice of genre, not romance, but thrillers, suspense. She was the author of a number of novels, stage plays, and screenplays, but remains best known for Sorry Wrong Number and our next piece, The Hitchhiker.
bringing you suspense. Suspense. Columbia's parade of outstanding thrillers. The notable melodramas from stage and screen, fiction and radio, presented each week to bring you to the edge of your chair. To keep you in suspense. Good evening, this is Orson Welles. And I'm very happy to be back in the United States and back on the Columbia Network. Even for so short a visit as this one. The Mercury Theater presented tonight's radio play for the first time last year. We came right out then and hailed it as a classic of the medium. Nobody argued the point. A lot of people asked us to do it again, so it's gratifying to get the chance to do it now. And to find a favorite of ours in this distinguished anthology of spook shows. Personally, I have never met anybody who didn't like a good ghost story. But I know a lot of people out there who think that there are a lot of people who don't like a good ghost story. For the benefit of these, at least, I'll go on record at the outset of this evening's entertainment with a sober assurance that, although blood may be curdled on this program, none will be spilt. There's no shootings, knifings, throttlings, axings, or poisons here. No clanking chains, no cobwebs, no bony and or hairy hands appearing from secret panels, or better yet, bedroom curtains. If any part of that dear old phosphorescent foolishness that people don't like about ghost stories don't like, well then again, I promise you, we haven't got it. Not tonight. What we do have is a thriller. If it's half as good as, as we think it is, you'll call it a shocker. It's already been called a real Orson Welles story. Now, frankly, I don't know what this means. I've been on the air directing and acting in my own shows for quite a while now. I don't suppose I've done more than half a dozen thrillers in all that time. Honestly, I don't think I've even done that many. But it seems I do have a reputation for the uncanny. Quite possibly a little escapade of mine involving a couple of planets which shall remain nameless is responsible, but doesn't really matter. Don't think I disapprove of thrillers. I don't. A story doesn't have to appeal to the heart. It can also appeal to the spine. Sometimes you want your heart to be warmed, and sometimes you want your spine to tingle. The tingling, it is to be hoped, will be quite audible as you listen tonight to The Hitchhiker. That's the name of our story, The Hitchhiker. I'm in an auto camp on Route 66, just west of Gallup, New Mexico. If I tell it, perhaps it'll help me, keep me from going, going crazy. I gotta tell this quickly, I'm not crazy now. I feel perfectly well, except that I'm running a slight temperature. My name is Ronald Adams. I'm 36 years of age, unmarried, tall, dark, with a dark mustache. I drive a 1940 Buick, license number 6Y175189. I was born in Brooklyn. All of this I know. I know that I'm at this moment perfectly sane. That it's not me who's gone mad, but something else, something utterly beyond my control. I've got to speak quickly. At any minute, the link may break. This may be the last thing I ever tell on Earth. The last night I ever see the stars. Six days ago, I left Brooklyn to drive to California. 
Goodbye, son. Good luck to you, my boy. Goodbye, mother. Here, give me a kiss, then I'll go. Oh, I'll come out to the car with you. Oh, no, no, it's raining. You, you stay here at the door. Oh, what's this, tears? I thought you promised me that you wouldn't cry. Oh, I know, dear. I'm sorry, but... Oh, I do hate to see you go. Oh, mother, I'll be back. I'll only be on the coast for three months. Oh, it, it isn't that. It's just the trip. Ronald, I wish you weren't driving. Oh, mother, there you go again. People do it every day. I know, but... Well, you'll be careful, won't you? Promise me you'll be extra careful. Don't fall asleep or drive fast or pick up any strangers on the road. <laughs> You'd think I was still 17 to hear you talk. <laughs> and wire me as soon as you get to Hollywood. Of course. Won't you, son? Of course. I will. Don't you worry. There isn't anything going to happen. It's just... Eight days of perfectly simple driving on smooth, decent, civilized road with a hot dog or a hamburger stand every ten miles. I was in fine spirits. The drive ahead of me, even the loneliness, seemed like a lark. But I reckoned without him. Crossing the Brooklyn Bridge that morning in the rain, I saw a man leaning against the cables. He seemed to be waiting for a lift. There were spots of fresh rain on his shoulders. He was carrying a cheap overnight bag in one hand. He was thin, nondescript, with a cap pulled down over his eyes. I would have forgotten him completely, except just an hour later, while crossing the Pulaski Skyway over the Jersey Flats, I saw him again. At least he looked like the same person. He was standing now with one thumb pointing west. Couldn't figure out how he got there. But I thought probably one of those fast trucks had picked him up, beaten me to the skyway, and led him off. I didn't stop for him. Then, late that night, I saw him again. I was on the new Pennsylvania turnpike between Harrisburg and Pittsburgh. It's 265 miles long with a very high speed limit. I was just slowing down for one of the tunnels when I, when I saw him. Standing under an arc light by the side of the road. I, I could see him quite distinctly. The, the bag, the cap, even, even the spots of fresh rain spattered on his shoulders. He, he hallooed me at that time. Hello! Hello! I stepped on the gas like a shot. It's a lonely country through the Alleghenies, and I had no intention of stopping. Besides, the coincidence, or whatever it was, Gave me the willies. I stopped at the next gas station. Yes, sir? Uh, uh, fill her up? Certainly, sir. Check your oil, sir. Oh, thanks. Nice night, isn't it? Yes, yes. Uh, it hasn't been raining here recently, has it? Not a drop of rain all week. Oh, oh. I, I suppose that hasn't done your business any harm, huh? Oh, people drive through here all kinds of weather. Mostly business, you know. There aren't many pleasure cars out on the turnpike this season of the year. Yes, I suppose not. <laughs> um, um, what, uh, um, what about uh, hitchhikers? Hitchhikers? <laughs> Here? What's the matter? Don't you ever see any? Not much. <laughs> if we did, it'd be a sight for sore eyes. Why? Oh, a guy'd be a fool who started out to hitch rides on this road. Look at it. Then you've never seen anybody? No. Maybe they get a lift before the turnpike starts. I mean, you know, just before the toll house. But then it'd be a mighty long ride. Most cars don't want to pick up a guy for that long a ride. And, you know, it's pretty lonesome country here. 
Mountains and woods. You ain't seen anybody like that, have you? Oh, no, 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 not at all, not at all. I, no, it's just a uh, um, uh, technical question. <laughs> I see. Well, that'll be $1.49 with the tax. The thing gradually passed through my mind was as sheer coincidence. I had a good night's sleep in Pittsburgh. I didn't think about the man at all until the next day. Just outside of Zanesville, Ohio. I saw him again. It was a bright, sunshiny afternoon. The peaceful Ohio fields, brown with the autumn stubble, lay dreaming on the golden light, and I was driving by, drinking it in when the road suddenly ended in a detour. In front of the barrier, he was standing. Let me explain his, about his appearance before I go on. I repeat, there was nothing sinister about him. He was just as drab as a mud fence. Nor was his attitude menacing. He merely stood there, waiting, almost drooping a little. Cheap overnight bag in his hand. He looked as though he'd been waiting there for hours. He looked up. He hailed me, and he started to walk forward. Hello! 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 No, Hello. Uh, not just now, sorry. Are you going to California? No, no, not today. The other way, going to New York, sorry. After I got the car back on the road again, felt like a fool. Yet the thought of picking him up, of having him sit beside me, was somehow unbearable. And at the same time, I felt more than ever unspeakably alone. Hour after hour went by. The fields, the towns, ticked off one by one. The light changed. I knew now that I was going to see him again. And though I dreaded the sight, I caught myself searching the side of the road, waiting for him to appear. Yeah, what is it? You, what sell, do you, want? Do you sell sandwiches and pop here, don't you? Yeah, we do in the daytime. But we're closed up now for the oh, night. I, I know, I, I, but I was just wondering, could you possibly let me have a, a cup of coffee? A, a black coffee? That... No, 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 not this time of the night, mister. My wife's the cook and she's in bed. No, no, don't shut the door, please. Listen, just a minute ago, just, just a minute ago, there was a, there, there was a man standing there right beside the stand. A, a suspicious-looking man. I, 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 I don't want to disturb you. You see, I was driving along when I just happened to look, and, and there he was. Yeah, what was he doing? Nothing. Oh, oh, you've been taking a nip. That's what you've been doing. On your way before I call out Sheriff Oaks. I got into the car again and drove on slowly. Oh, I began to hate the car. If I could have found a place to stop, to, to rest a little. I was in the Ozark Mountains of Missouri now. The few resort places there were closed. Only an occasional log cabin, seemingly deserted. That's all that broke the monotony of the wild, wooded landscape. I had seen him by the side of the road. 
I knew I'd see him again. Maybe at the next turn of the road. I knew that when I saw him next, I would run him down. But I didn't see him again. I didn't see him until late next afternoon. I'd stop the car at a sleepy little junction just across the border into Oklahoma to let a train pass by when he appeared across the tracks, leaning against a telephone pole. A perfectly airless, dry day. The red clay of Oklahoma was baking under the southwestern sun, yet there were spots of fresh rain on his shoulders. I couldn't stand that. Without thinking blindly, I started the car across the tracks. He didn't even bother to look up at me, just, just staring at the ground. I, I stepped on the gas hard, veering the wheel sharply toward him. I could hear the train in the distance now, but I didn't care. But then, something went wrong. It's the car, it stalled on the tracks. The train was coming closer. I, I could hear his bell ringing and the cry of its whistle. Still, he stood there. Now I knew that he was beckoning me, beckoning me to my death. Well, I frustrated him that time. The starter worked at last. I managed to back up when the train passed. He was gone. I was all alone in the hot, dry afternoon. After that, I knew I had to do something. I don't know who this man was or, or what he wanted of me. I only knew that from now on, I mustn't let myself be alone on the road for one minute. Ah, hello there! Uh, would you like a ride? Well, what do you think? How far are you going? Yeah, uh, where, where do you want to go? Amarillo, Texas. I'll drive you there. Gee. Uh, you, would you mind if I take off my shoes? My dogs are killing me. You go right ahead. Oh, gee, what a break this is. <sighs> Hitchhike much? Sure, only it's tough sometimes in these great open spaces to get the brakes. Yeah, I should think it would be. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll bet you get a good pickup in a fast car if you did, you... You could get places faster than, say, uh, say another person in another car, couldn't you? Uh, I don't get you. Well, um, take me, for instance. Uh, suppose I'm, um, I'm driving across the country, say, at a nice steady clip, maybe 45 miles an hour. Now, couldn't, couldn't a girl like you, just, just standing beside the road, waiting for a lift, beat me to, 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 to town or any, any town, provided she got picked up every time in a car that went from, like, 65 to 70 miles an hour? See, I don't know. What difference does it make? Oh, oh no, no difference. That's just a crazy idea I had here sitting in the car. <laughs> Imagine spending your time in a swell car thinking of things like that. <laughs> what would you do instead? What would I do? I was a good-looking fellow like yourself. Why, I'd just enjoy myself. Every minute of the time, I'd sit back and relax. And if I saw a good-looking girl along the side of the road... Hey! Did you see him, too? See who? The man standing beside the barbed wire fence. I didn't see anybody. 
wasn't nothing but a bunch of cows and the, and the, and the wire fence. No? What do you think you was doing trying to run into the barbed wire fence? There was a man there, Alf. I tell you, a thin gray man with an overnight bag in his hand, and I, I, I was trying to run him down. Run him down? You mean kill him? You say you didn't see him back there? Are you sure? Well, I didn't see a soul, as far as that's concerned. Now watch him for the next time. Keep watching. Keep your eyes peeled on the road. We'll turn up again. Maybe any minute now. There, look there. <laughs> Did you see him that time? No, I didn't see him that time. And personally, Miss, uh, Mister, I don't ever expect to see him. All I want to do is go on living, and I don't see how I will very long driving with you. Go, uh, no, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't. I don't know what came over me. Please don't go. Well, if you'll excuse me. You, you can't go. Listen, would you like to go to California? I'll drive you to California. Same pink elephants all the way. No thanks. Uh uh-uh, uh thanks. Listen, please, just, just one minute, please. You know what I think you need, big boy? Not a girlfriend, just a good dose of sleep. Please. There, I got it now. You leave your hands off me to hear. No, you can't you go, leave please. Your hands off Come me. on. She ran from me, as though I was a monster. A few minutes later, I saw a passing truck pick her up. I knew then that I was utterly alone. It was in the heart of the great Texas prairies. There wasn't a car on the road after the truck went by. I tried to figure out what to do. How to get a hold of myself. <sighs> if I could just find a place to rest, or even if I could just sleep right here in the car for a few hours along the side of the road. I, I was getting my winter coat out of the back seat to use as a blanket when I saw him coming toward me, emerging from the herd of moving steer. Hello! Hello! Maybe I should have spoken to him then. Fought it out, then and there. For now, he began to be everywhere. Wherever I stopped, even for a moment, a gas, or oil, and drink a pop, a cup of coffee, sandwich. He was there. I saw him standing outside the auto camp in Amarillo that night when I dared to slow down. He was sitting near the drinking fountain of a little camping spot just inside the border of Mexico. He was waiting for me outside the Navajo reservation where I stopped to check my tires. I saw him in Albuquerque, where I bought 20 gallons of gas. I was, I was afraid to stop now. I began to drive faster and faster. I was in, in a lunar landscape now. The great, arid Mesa country of New Mexico. I drove through it with the indifference of a fly crawling over the face of the moon. Now he didn't even wait for me to stop. Unless I drove at 85 miles an hour over those endless roads, he waited for me at every other mile. I'd see his figure, shadowless, flitting before me, still in its same attitude over the cold, lifeless ground, flitting over dried-up rivers, over broken stones cast up by old glacial upheavals, flitting in the pure, 
cloudless air. I was beside myself when I finally reached Gallup, New Mexico this morning. There's an auto camp there, cold, almost deserted this time of year. I went inside and asked if there was a telephone. I had the feeling that if I could, if I could just speak to someone familiar, someone I loved, I could pull myself together. Your call, please. Long distance. Long distance, certainly. This is long distance. Yeah, yeah I'd like uh, I'd like to put in a call to my home in Brooklyn, New York. I'm I'm Ronald Adams. Uh, um, the number is uh, Beechwood two zero eight two eight. Certainly, I'll try and get that for you. Albuquerque, New York for Gallup. New York. Gallup, New Mexico calling. Beechwood 20828. I've read somewhere that love could banish demons. It was in the middle of the morning. I, I knew Mother would be home. I pictured her tall and white-haired in a crisp house dress, going about her tasks. It'd be enough, I thought, just to hear the even calmness of her voice. Yes. Will you please deposit $3.85 for the first three minutes? When you have deposited a dollar and a half, will you wait until I have collected the money? All right. I deposited another dollar and a half. And will you please deposit the remaining 85 cents? Ready with Brooklyn. Go ahead, please. Uh, hello? Mrs. Adams' residence. Hello? Hello, Mother? This is Mrs. Adams' residence. Who is it you wish to speak to, please? What? Yeah, who's this? This is Mrs. Winnie. Mrs. Winnie, I, I, I don't know any Mrs. Winnie. This, is this Beechwood 20828? Yes. Where's my mother? Where's, where's, where's Mrs. Adams? Mrs. Adams is not at home. She's still in the hospital. Hospital? Yes. Who's this calling, please? Is it a member of the family? What's she in the hospital for? Oh, she's been prostrated for five days. Nervous breakdown. But who's this calling? Nervous breakdown? Well, my, my mother has never been nervous. It's all taken place since the death of her eldest son, Ronald. Death of her... Death of her oldest son, Ronald? Hey. What's this? What number is this? Well, this is Beechwood, 20828. It's all been very sudden. He was killed just six days ago in an automobile accident on the Brooklyn Bridge. Your three minutes are up, sir. Your three minutes are up, sir. Your three minutes are up, sir. And so... So I'm sitting here in this deserted auto camp in Gallup, New Mexico trying to think, trying to get a hold of myself. Otherwise, I'm, I'm going to go crazy. Outside, it's night, the vast, soulless night of New Mexico. A million stars are in the sky. Ahead of me stretch a thousand miles of empty mesa, mountains, prairies, desert, 
Somewhere among them, he's waiting for me. Somewhere I shall know who he is and who I am. Lady of Radio Drama, Lucille Fletcher. Sorry, wrong number. In Sorry, Wrong Number, Fletcher paints the portrait of a high-strung, feeble, dependent, trapped, hysterical woman whom no one takes seriously. And then she kills her off. In Hitchhiker, Fletcher gives us a carefree, independent character who heads out into the world on his own only to be haunted at every turn by the ghost of himself, and who ends up stranded, unsure of his identity, his future, or even his very existence. You could argue that he is an apt metaphor for a woman in the 40s, stepping forth into the territory of a male-dominated profession. We'd like to close this evening's performance honoring Women's History Month with some highlights from Virginia Woolf's seminal 1928 essay, A Room of Her Own. A Room of One's Own. Hmm. Writing 20 years before Lucille Fletcher, Woolf begins by stating what she calls a minor opinion. Quote, A woman must have money and a room of her own if she is to write fiction. End quote. Wolf goes on to imagine a visit to a British men's college where she is barred entry to the library because she is a woman. While dining with her friend, Mary Seaton, Wolf contrasts the great history of wealth and resources at the foundation of the all-male college with the resources of Furnham, the nearby women's college. It was only after a long struggle and with the utmost difficulty that Furnham's women founders got 30,000 pounds together. So obviously we cannot have wine and partridges and servants carrying tin dishes on their heads. We cannot have sofas and separate rooms. The amenities will have to wait. At the thought of all those women working year after year and finding it hard to get 2,000 pounds together and as much as they could to get 30,000 pounds, we burst out in scorn at the reprehensible poverty of our sex. What had our mothers been doing then? That they had no wealth to leave us, powdering their noses, looking in at shop windows, flaunting in the sun at Monte Carlo? There were some photographs on the mantelpiece. Mary's mother, if that was her picture, may have been a wastrel in her spare time. She had 13 children by a minister of the church. But if so, her gay and dissipated life had left too few traces of its pleasures on her face. She was a homely body, an old lady in a plaid shawl which was fastened by a large cameo, and she sat in a basket chair encouraging a spaniel to look at the camera with the amused yet strained expression of one who is sure that the dog will move directly the bulb is pressed. 
Now, if she had gone into business, had become a manufacturer of artificial silk or a magnate on the stock exchange, if she had left two or three hundred thousand pounds to Fernham College, we could have been sitting at our ease tonight, and the subject of our talk might have been archaeology, botany, anthropology, physics, the nature of the atom, mathematics, astronomy, relativity, geography. If only Mrs. Seaton and her mother, and her mother before her, had learnt the great art of making money, and had left their money, like their fathers and their grandfathers before them, to found fellowships and lectureships and prizes and scholarships appropriated to the use of their own sex, we might have dined very tolerably up here alone off a bird and a bottle of wine. We might have looked forward without undue confidence to a pleasant and honorable lifetime spent in the shelter of one of the liberally endowed professions. We might have been exploring or writing or mooning about the venerable places of the earth, sitting contemplative on the steps of the Parthenon or going at ten to an office and coming home comfortably at half past four to write a little poetry. Only if Mrs. Seaton and her like had gone into business at the age of fifteen, there would have been, that was the snag in the argument, no Mary. What, I asked, did Mary think of that? For to endow a college would necessitate the suppression of families altogether. Making a fortune and bearing 13 children, no human being could stand it. Consider the facts, we said. First, there are nine months before the baby is born. Then the baby is born. Then there are three or four months spent in feeding the baby. After the baby is fed, there are certainly five years spent in playing with the baby. You cannot, it seems, let children run about the streets. People who have seen them running wild say that the sight is not a pleasant one. People say, too, that human nature takes its shape in the years between one and five. If Mrs. Seaton, I said, had been making money, what sort of memories would you have had of games and quarrels? What would you have known of Scotland and its fine air and cakes and all the rest of it? But it is useless to ask these questions because you would never have come into existence at all. Moreover, it is equally useless to ask what might have happened if Mrs. Seaton and her mother, and her mother before her, had amassed great wealth and laid it under the foundations of college and library because, in the first place, to earn money was impossible for them, and in the second, had it been possible, the law denied them the right to possess what money they earned. It is only for the last 48 years that Mrs. Seaton has had a penny of her own. For all the centuries before that, it would have been her husband's property, a thought which perhaps may have had its share in keeping Mrs. Seaton and her mothers off the stock exchange. Every penny I earn, they may have said, will be taken from me and disposed of according to my husband's wisdom. So we talked, standing at the window and looking as so many thousands look every night down on the domes and towers of the famous city beneath us. One thought of all the books that were assembled down there, of the pictures of old prelates and worthies hanging in the paneled rooms, of the urbanity, the geniality, the dignity, which are the offspring of luxury and privacy and space. Certainly our mothers had not provided us with anything comparable to all this our mothers who found it difficult to scrape together 30,000 pounds, our mothers who bore 13 children to ministers of religion at St. Andrews. We pondered why it was that Mrs. Seaton had no money to leave us, and what effect poverty has on the mind, and what effect wealth has on the mind. 
We thought about the shut doors of the library and how unpleasant it is to be locked out and how it is worse, perhaps, to be locked in, about the safety and prosperity of the one sex and the poverty and insecurity of the other and the effect of tradition and the lack of tradition upon the mind of a writer. Wolf goes to the British Museum and finds it odd how many books about women were written by men. Finally, she imagines what might have happened if Shakespeare had had a sister as gifted as he, and how impossible it would have been for the genius of Shakespeare's sister ever to have found the light, let alone lived to see posterity. And then she concludes. Now my belief is that this poet who never wrote a word and was buried at the crossroads still lives. She lives in you and in me and in many other women who are not here tonight, for they are washing up the dishes and putting the children to bed. But she lives, for great poets do not die. They are continuing presences. They need only the opportunity to walk among us in the flesh. This opportunity is now coming within your power to give her. For my belief is that if we live another century or so and have 500 a year each of us and rooms of our own, if we have the habit of freedom and the courage to write exactly what we think, if we escape a little from the common sitting room and see human beings not always in their relation to each other, but in relation to reality, then the opportunity will come and the dead poet who was Shakespeare's sister will put on the body which she has so often laid down, drawing her life from the lives of the unknown who were her forerunners. She will be born. As for her coming without that preparation, without that effort on our part, without that determination that when she is born again, she shall find it possible to live and write her poetry, that we cannot expect, for that would be impossible. But I maintain that she would come if we worked for her, and that so to work, even in poverty and obscurity, is worthwhile. Today we honor Women's History Month by honoring all our mothers and grandmothers and great-grandmothers, and all our daughters and granddaughters and great-granddaughters, whether they write fiction or bear children raise children, or direct movies, or run for president. For we are all part of Women's History Month. bridge between men and machine. What kind of change? One that changes everything. The organic and the digital. His head, it's metal. Your friend Alvin the Chipmunk is a non-stop recording hard drive. The ability to record every human sense. Sight, sound, 
even thought. Everything anyone could ever see or hear gets recorded. Any human being could be a spy. This chip will allow us to know everything, as will the people we sell it to. They'll see all the data. Don't you get it? There is no one that can stop us. Hey, Rockstar. The Rapscallion Agency, a new audio drama from the creators of The Leviathan Chronicles, follows two of its youngest characters, Lizette and Cloracan, who moved to Paris. So, Cloracan is in Paris. Welcome to Paris. And find themselves entangled in a sinister plot to control the world's most sensitive information. I can take them out. I can do with three of them. Now there's two. We've got to get out of here. No one is going anywhere. Leviathan Audio presents The Rapscallion Agency, available November 1st. Subscribe now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.